This is Let's Talk to Lucy, starring Lucille Ball. A very warm welcome to you all. I'm Gary Morton, and now, let's talk to Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy. I'm in San Francisco for a couple of days with my little family, Gary, Lucy, and Desi. You know, there's something exhilarating about visiting the many cities in our land. Each one has its own particular atmosphere, a certain feeling that you get that is totally different from another. Gene Fowler once said, every man should be allowed to love two cities, his own and San Francisco, and millions do. And it's a bright, brisk, bustling city, and I love it. And I love the view from our suite high up in the Fairmont Hotel. I can see the beautiful shimmering bay, all the bridges and dozens of sailboats gliding in and out, Chinatown below. But here I am telling you about San Francisco when my guest today is a man who knows and loves this enchanting city so well that he has been called Mr. San Francisco. I refer, of course, to Barnaby Conrad, who has captured the charm and history of San Francisco in a book that has been called a flagrant, unabashed valentine in words and pictures. The title is simply San Francisco, and in it Mr. Conrad writes of the past, the gold rush days, earthquake and fire, the vigilantes and the colorful personalities of early San Francisco. He also tells of the present, the fog, the bridges, the ships and the boats, the hills, architecture, fisherman's wharf, Chinatown, the nightlife, cable cars, and the people of today. However, San Francisco is not Mr. Conrad's only interest. He is author, sculptor, musician, and top American authority on bullfighting. His novel, Matador, has sold more than a million copies and has been translated into 13 languages. I am visiting at the Conrad's lovely home today. Hello, Barnaby. Hello, Lucy. Thank you very, very much for inviting me here and meeting your lovely family, your beautiful wife, Mary. I'm very intrigued with your home, very intrigued with everything that you have around here. What do you call those little... Uh, oh, the rooms? mouse houses. Mouse houses? Mouse houses, in plural, is mice heist, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> your mice heist? Mice heist. What a wonderful hobby for the children. How did you get them interested it's in It's the only it? way we can lure them away from you, and otherwise they'd stay uh, glued <laughs> to you and the television and other television programs, so we, we make them do little uh, shadow boxes, and uh, the stars are little tiny toy mice, that, and the mouse houses, I guess, are about uh, 12 inches by 6 inches, and they, they make little living rooms, and, uh, well, that one scene you saw was a Western scene which showed sort of Paladine sitting, only well, he's a mouse Paladine, he's got a little mustache and a cigar and a cowboy hat and Marvelous cowboy imagination. You, you have developed so many things in your children that I see evidences of around here. You know, I know uh, that you are a native, San Franciscan, but I just got to ask you one question. Mr. San Francisco, uh, I want to know what it implies to you. Uh, well, I, I certainly love it as much as anybody. Uh, I was born here and my parents lived here, my grandparents and so forth. Yeah, it has a tremendous pull, I think. I mean, I do go to different countries, but I all seem to come back to San Francisco. But being Mr. San Francisco, does it make a lot of responsibility for you? Well, I, d I, don't, uh, think, I, I don't think you can work at uh, loving San Francisco. I think that you just do and uh, have San Francisco's best interests at heart. Well, that's the answer, of course. You do have great responsibility when you continue to have best interests for anything at heart. That's the answer I wanted to hear. I just wondered, 
When you were like uh, 9, 10, 11, did you ever dream of, uh, at that time, of having so many successful hobbies or that many hobbies, period? I had all those hobbies when I was that age that I've still got now. I, luckily, I had nice parents who uh, sent me to art school when I was very young, and, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, I went to other school, regular school, but then after, after regular school, I was sent to study with a, an artist. And I've uh, kept all those hobbies up and capitalized on them. And too. added uh -huh. to them along the way. You, you just do so many things, and you do many things well. And uh, to me, it's very interesting what took place when you were being molded by whom? You say your father, your parents, uh -huh. and the city. But it's the dream of so many of us to interest our children even a little bit. And I would love to just uh, have you think back for a moment, and maybe you can give us some pointers on how uh, you're doing it here, you see. So just give me an idea of how you do it. You, you got the idea for the Mises, the <laughs> mouse house. So just well, I think the, the, the clue is just to, to, to see your child. Now, my Mary's boy, Billy, uh, my stepson, has great musical interests. And uh, they weren't great when he started. It just was a flicker. We merely gave him piano lessons, and now the problem is keeping him away from the piano. There's no problem making him study because he really loves it. But another child of mine, uh, the boy that does the mouse houses and carves, I tried to give him piano lessons and he just didn't like it. And mm. wasn't to the studying and the practicing. He just, that wasn't his bent. He's, he's more artistic. So we encourage that side of him and the carving and so forth. I've tried the encouraging bit and I must say I, I've been successful in, you know, one little area, musically, for instance, and or a couple of other things, but not to the extent you have. Yeah, I think a lot of people always say, oh, aren't you lucky to have such talents and so forth? Well, I'm not. Uh, I, I was lucky to have the interest in it because anybody can learn to draw and paint, I, I think, if they have the, the interest. interest. That's the word, the interest. Yeah. It, it, you're not just suddenly born being able to draw. You have to study like anything else. You go to art school for years, and uh, I'm sure the same with, with music. They say there's nobody, is, that almost no one is tone deaf, and that almost anybody can learn to play adequately an instrument. If you have the interest, you have, if you have a boy or a child that's interested, then you're lucky. Yes. Then you should give them all the lessons in that particular interest in the world, I think. Well, thank goodness I'm on the right track, at least. But anyway, I want to talk a little bit about your travels. You've lived in Spain and Peru. You have spent time in Tahiti, is that true? About six months I lived in Tahiti. And I understand you're going back to Tahiti. We're going back in about a week or two. And Mary hasn't seen Tahiti, but uh, I think she's going to love it. We'll spend a week in Tahiti and then two weeks in Bora Bora. And you're going to do goggle fishing in oh, yes. Tahiti? Yeah, uh, how does that differ that. from what other kind of fishing? I know you put goggles on, but how does it differ from... Uh, well, you have a spear. Diving. Well, it's the same thing. It's yeah. the same thing, only you yeah. have a spear that you, you really go after fish instead of just looking around. Instead of just looking, you, you, you pick them off. I've gotten less and less interested in killing anything as I get older. So usually I just look, but uh, if there's a nice, big, beautiful red snapper or something for dinner, then, yes. then spear it. Aren't there uh, fish down there that you're, you should be afraid of? I know you're not afraid of anything, but uh, uh, shouldn't you be? <laughs> well, uh, last time I was there, I saw looked down and saw about an eight-foot shark right below me, but that's in the passes. You stay out of the passes that come through the Carl Lagoon, but if you stay right in the lagoon, there, there are no sharks at all. Well, now, how in the name of goodness would you know whether you're in a passage or not? Well, it's, it's very deep, you, you can tell. The lagoon is shallow. The lagoon is about 10 feet, but the passes is where the water comes in through the reef, and you can tell because it's very deep, and <laughs> there's sharks. The <laughs> moment you see a shark, you know you're in the past, and that you should get out. And what do you do when you see a shark? Well, you suddenly, um, 
realized that Johnny Weissmiller wasn't such a fast swimmer after all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mean you just swim away? You just get going, yeah. You don't stay in one spot and, they, and, and, and hope that they'll go away. Well, everybody's got his own technique. They say the best technique of all is to keep always facing the shark as you swim fast backwards. But uh, <laughs> if you have a mask on, you should uh, face him and uh, keep your spear out. And if he attacks, hit him in the nose with a spear. Have you ever had to... Uh... I've never had him attack me. I've been in the waters with 12-foot shark, too, down in the Virgin Islands. And that's pretty, pretty exciting because even though, even though they may not want to eat you, just trying to get away from you, if they hit you with that tail, they'll break something of very course. vital. <laughs> And you, you, you go after this kind of excitement. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Uh, I think that... You'd certainly like to live dangerously. Oh, Barnaby, I'm sorry to have to interrupt right here, but we've run out of time for today. This has all been so exciting and so interesting that I'm delighted we're going to be able to continue our conversation tomorrow. Thank you, Barnaby. Thank you, Lucy. We have been talking to Mr. Barnaby Conrad, noted author and artist. Please join us tomorrow. Hi, this is Lucy. Again today, my guest is Mr. Barnaby Conrad, noted author and artist. We are visiting Mr. Conrad and his lovely wife, Mary, in their home in San Francisco. Barnaby, I was amazed to find out that you are considered to be America's foremost authority on bullfighting. Now, I knew that you had written Matador, but I didn't know you were an authority on bullfighting. How did you get to be this, and at what age? Well, I saw my first bullfight when I was 13 and in Mexico, and I never quite forgot it. And then I went to Mexico, went to study painting when I was 17. I started fighting bulls then. Uh, when I was, I'd been there about two or three weeks, I went to the fight and I said, like everyone else, why, that's easy. The poor bull doesn't have a chance and he just goes at the red cloth and so forth. And someone that was with me said, well, why don't you try it? And so I jumped in the ring with my overcoat. And um, it sounds like a Lucy yes. adventure. But, uh, Did you realize your and mistake I've got a photo soon? I, I realized my mistake very soon. I've got a photograph that shows me cowering as this thing that looked like a greyhound bus. It was an enormous bull. And usually you start with very small animals. But I got out of the ring very fast. The bullfighter whose bull it was that day said, uh, why don't you come out on the ranches with us and learn something about it? He said, I'll pick you up tomorrow at 7. So he picked me up in the morning and every morning after that for three months. And you start with, with calves that, mm -hmm. that have no horns. And these little calves, you know, they're not tortured or irritated to make them charge, they'll charge you when they're a day old. Really? One day old, when they can hardly wobble, they'll try to kill you. See, they're a special breed. Oh. They're like a fighting Cut. rooster compared mm -hmm. to a, a domestic mm -hmm. rooster. So anyway, then uh, finally, after the end of three months, the, the, after calves, you graduate to bulls, and pretty soon the bulls have horns, and pretty soon, pretty soon I was in the hospital. <laughs> this is where I was. <laughs> <laughs> At what age was this now? This 17? is 17. Oh, dear. And, and then? Uh, then I went to, uh, well, I was on... Uh, a cane and crutches for two years, and I went to Yale oh, and graduated. Oh, Barnaby, really? Just from bullfighting? <laughs> Just from that, but then I really started because of bullfighting because I uh, graduated from Yale and I was sent to Spain in the diplomatic service as a vice consul in the foreign service. I was sent, to, of all places, to Sevilla, which is, I didn't ask for it, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened uh, because this is the center of bullfighting. Yes, were you uh, around uh, Mr. Hemingway at the time? No, Mr. Hemingway wasn't there. But uh, I was around Juan Belmonte, who was the world's greatest bullfighter. Who May I have that name again? Juan Belmonte. Hmm? And he invented bullfighting. And invented it? Well, practically. Well, he, he changed it around 1914. He revolutionized the style and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. I studied with him and began bullfighting 
again when my leg got better, and I fought for three years there. Just as a bullfighter, that's all you did? No, I was in the, I was in the diplomatic service, but I would, could hardly wait to get out of the office. And, well, I, my heart wasn't in the diplomatic service, and uh, my heart was in bullfighting, and I decided to, I finally quit the diplomatic service and, and started to bullfight, was going to become a professional bullfighter, and then I got hurt <clears throat> again, so I had to give it up. Then I went to Peru and lived in Peru for a year, and I had to live there, so I played the piano in a, uh, the nightclub there, the Grill Bolivar, which is the, the best nightclub there. And, Luckily, I was hired by the man who owned it. Uh, he was tone deaf. And uh, <laughs> I went in and I played the piano for him because I needed to make some money. And he said, uh, do you know Sombre Dimanche? And I quickly thought back to my high school French, and that meant Gloomy Sunday. Uh -huh. That was his favorite song. He was a Hungarian. Mm, of course. And, what else? <laughs> you know, and he's now one of Hilton's top men. But he just loved that song. And uh, he said, you're hired. And he said, you play beautifully. Well, I played there for about two months, and finally, the Metro d'Hotel came and said, look, we, this man is driving everybody away. The place has been, been in the red for two months. <laughs> because of that one because, song? But, no, because of my <laughs> playing, which is terrible. You sound like something out of a Humphrey Bogart movie. <laughs> so with tears in his eyes, he fired Sam. And, and, <laughs> but he was so nice, he got me a job at another place where I lasted about two weeks. He wanted to go and hear me play Gloomy Sunday. Of all the things to resort to, your piano playing, after all of this bullfighting and everything, the diplomatic service, and being an artist, and a, also a sculptor, I understand? How much I sculpting? Sculpt. I do a, a bit. I do a bit. I'll and show you some, uh, some pieces I did of my daughter, and maybe Mary will get the piece of, of my daughter, or Manalete, out there. And, and what, what about your, your painting? What do you prefer in, in the painting? Well, I do mostly commissions. Oil. Now, see... Uh, oils, watercolors. Oils, yeah. Now see that painting over there on the wall, that one of uh, the thin yes. woman. That's the Princess of Greece that I, I did for the royal palace. Now I'm just doing a, a new portrait, uh, I mean a new mural for the new Trader Vic restaurant that's going in called Senor Pico. He's got a completely un-Polynesian restaurant. It's going to be Mexican food and uh, early California decor. And so I'm doing a huge, great big mural of General Vallejo for, for one of the rooms. Mary? Please come over here. I would <laughs> love to ask you a question. Would you mind? Not at all. I'm so, could uh, she have your sure. chair for a moment, Barnaby? Sure. I uh, didn't expect to ask you any questions, Mary, but I just can't resist it. What is it like being married to a man like this? Well, it's absolutely fascinating. She has to say that. Well, no, she doesn't. She could have used another word. I think it's, uh, first of all, his choice in his hobbies is extraordinary. His talents are unbelievable, but his choice as, uh, for a beautiful wife is certainly something to uh, speak about. You know, she looks a bit like a Tahitian beauty right now. Uh, was there anything of that in your choice when you saw Mary for the first time, Barnaby? Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> actually, what I admired about her, I've gone crazy about tennis. I never played tennis in my life until about two years ago. And uh, I looked over uh, on the tennis court and saw this uh, beautiful forehand I never even saw her face. I just saw the world <laughs> crazy, uh, backhand, rather. <laughs> your forehand and your backhand, but not your face. That I don't believe, Mary. No, but seriously now, uh, what is the most startling thing about being Barnaby's wife? Can you give me a quick answer? <laughs> because I never know what's going to happen next. That's for sure. But that must be very, very interesting and very wonderful. Did you, be, or had you, before you met Barnaby, had you read... Uh, his books and heard his album and all the things about Mr. Conrad, were they well in your mind or did you know nothing about this man? I knew nothing about this man. I was aware of what he was, what he did 
and uh -huh. I had met him on numerous occasions, but never paid much attention. Uh -huh. So I've since finally read all the books and find them thoroughly interesting. Did he catch on to your tennis? Is he a good tennis player? He's a very good tennis player and beats me terribly. Oh, now. really? Is there anything he can't do? Well, he can't play bridge. Uh, I'm glad to find there's something. Does he cook? Yes. No, no, no. She's a superb cook. I cook breakfast every once in a while, but she's a marvelous cook. Uh, I don't want to miss talking about the children. How old, how many of those children were yours that I just saw? Two of them. Two of them. I have three, she has two, and we have one little baby upstairs. Oh, that, uh, uh, that's what I mean. Uh, all told now, you have how many? Well, there are four with us right now, three of which are mine and ours, and one of Barney's who's going home to Florida next week. And are you a relaxed mother? No. No, you look have, relaxed. I don't have she's time to she's be. She's relaxed, but she's very strict, I think, which is the way it should be. Oh, that's marvelous. There's evidence of great happiness around here, a home that's much loved. If you'd like, I'll take you down to my studio on uh, Telegraph Hill and show you my stuff. Oh, I'd love to go down there. Can we see the portrait of Manoletti? A uh, portrait of Manolette. And, and what else? Uh, well, I've got one of Sinclair Lewis that you might be interested Sinclair in. Sinclair Lewis that you did? That marvelous in oil? In oil. And what is the uh, mural you were talking about? Will that oh, be down there that's also? That's there, too. Oh, good. But uh, if I may impose upon you, let's make it tomorrow, because I'd love my listeners to join us. And while I still have a couple of seconds left, I want to thank you for being such a delightful guest. Thank you very much, Barnaby. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Lucy. Bye now. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hi, this is Lucy. You know, Gary, I've certainly enjoyed these last few days in San Francisco, and it's been especially nice because you and the children have been with me. We've had a chance to see and do so many things, and it, it just reminded me of something I wanted to say to our listeners. It's wonderful when families can get together and spend several days away from home in some interesting and exciting place. Most of us who work are kind of in the same boat and have to wait until summer vacation to stretch our wings. That's why Gary and I and the children try to take miniature vacations from time to time. It puts us all in a relaxed and enjoyable mood, and we have time to talk about many things we don't get to discuss at home. I think we should all try to squeeze in a few days off now and then. It's good for the system and the soul. We've been so fortunate on this trip. The weather here in San Francisco has been just beautiful. Oh, you're so right, honey. It's done us all good. Little Desi and I have played golf every day, and the courses up here are the greatest. And so are the stores. You know, Lucy and I have gone on several shopping safaris, and we've bagged some pretty interesting bargains. What are your plans for the show today, Lucy? Well, today we wind up our visit with Mr. Barnaby Conrad, who invited us to his studio on Telegraph Hill. Barnaby, what a wonderful studio. My, this certainly is a... A mess. Well, it's a mess, <laughs> but it's, it's activity. May I say this is activity. Is that Manolette? That's, uh, the, uh, that's the drawing for the Manolette portrait that's down in the Matador, my saloon. Uh, I mean, my salon. Uh, I like to think of it as a salon. It's really a saloon, but uh, the original is down, down there. This is just the principal, the, the beginning drawing for it. You knew him well? Yes. What age did he die? He was just 30. Oh, dear. He'd, um, what a waste of a beautiful man. He'd made $4 million in um, eight years as a senior bullfighter. He was, announced his retirement, was going to get married, 
and retire to this ranch and enjoy the millions that he'd made. And God had other plans. And uh, God had God and Dominguin had other plans. This man, Dominguin, came, who's a young bullfighter then, 21 years old, challenged him to come out of retirement and said that he'd only fought small bulls and wasn't a good bullfighter, that yes. he was the number one, you know. So he came out of retirement, said, I'll have one more season with the most dangerous bulls that you can get. Mm. And in one contest with Dominguin, when they were fighting Muta bulls, which are the most dangerous, the crowd kept demanding more and more of him, and more was his life, so he gave it to them. Oh. He and the bull killed each other at the same moment. Is that yeah. true? I thought that was your dramatic no, imagination. No. It really happened, huh? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that portrait of Sinclair Lewis. Did well, you I did know that. him well? I studied with him. I, I was his secretary. His secretary? His secretary. I met him in Santa Barbara. I just wrote him a letter, heard he was in town. I've always admired his writings, and I wrote him a letter and said I'd like to meet him, and he sent his chauffeur over for me, and we got along famously, and he said, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm writing a novel, and he said, let me see it, the first 75 pages. So I brought him over the 75 pages, and he read them, and I said, what did you think of them? And he said, well, and he said this not unkindly, I'd throw away the first 74 pages. I would throw away the first 74? And all you had was 75? Yes. Oh, no. And I've been working a year on this novel. Of course. And uh, so then he said, but let me see the next 75. And I was sort of gun-shy at this point, but I gave them to him. <laughs> and uh, he took them home with him. And he called up at 3 o'clock in the morning, woke my mother up, and said, uh, I want to speak to Barnaby. And then he said, why, now it comes to life, that girl's a honey. Uh, why didn't you start that way? He said, uh, you were writing all about the Azores Island. So he said, when I want to read about the Azores, I'll, I'll get the National Geographic, because people read fiction for emotional kicks, not educational kicks. So that was the beginning of my association with Sinclair Lewis, because he said, do you know how to play chess? And I said, no. And he said, well, I'll give you a month to learn, and then you come east as my secretary. So I went to Williamstown after a month after I studied chess, and... Uh, here he had this magnificent 750-acre place in the most beautiful 20-room house. And I arrived there, and it was just me and Mr. Lewis. And I said, uh, what are my duties, Mr. Lewis? And he said, your duties are to get up at 5.30 every morning and work on that blankety-blank novel of yours. <laughs> and which, in truth, all, was all I had to do, except play chess with him and eat three meals a day with this brilliant, fascinating, irascible, difficult, wonderful guy. Yes, and meet all of his friends and learn from them. Did you become a good chess player? Uh, no, but I wasn't supposed to. I soon learned that if I became a good chess player, my oh. job was in jeopardy. Oh. Uh, luckily, I was the, uh, the second worst uh, <laughs> chess player in the world. He was the world's worst, but then I quickly held my game down. <laughs> he really was... Oh, that's wonderful. It meant more to him than anything winning. And all his friends knew they were to throw the game. And you'd know that it was a new friend when you'd hear a bellow of rage when Mr. Lewis was fool's mated, as they say in just a few moves in the first part of the game, then someone would draw the friend aside, like George G. Nathan, you know, yes. and would say, no, you got, you've got to lose. You've Isn't that lose. a strange quirk in some people, and some yeah. really great people? Yeah. What is the explanation of this, I wonder? Well, he had, uh, that was a childish streak in him. We're but all... it is in so many great people. Yes. Isn't that strange? I've never been able to figure it out, and I have never honored it. Now, you did. How old were you? I was 24. Well, why did you? Because you have great integrity. Why did you do that one thing? Well, here's a great man, and he's small in only one thing. Why not let him be small in one thing? That's a fine answer. That's a wonderful answer. Well, Barnaby, you are the living end. That's all I can say. 
You write music, you paint, you sculpt, you fight bulls, you fish, you hunt. Your life is just about one of the most fascinating that I've ever heard about. Do you ever have the feeling that perhaps it's difficult for your children to measure up to you? A friend of mine said something funny the other day. Uh, she said, uh, you know, we spend the first half of our lives trying to be as good as our fathers and the second half of our lives trying to be as good as our children and neither is possible. What a wonderful answer. Just before I leave, I'd like to say hello to your young son here. Are you Barnaby the Third? Yes. Well, you have a very wonderful father. Oh, thank you. What's it like to have a father with so many wonderful hobbies? Well, we... We have a lot of fun. We go on trips and we go fishing and hunting. Fishing and hunting? Yes. That's wonderful. Do you like school? <laughs> well... Not, not as much as being much. and doing all the hobbies that you have with your dad, right? Right. Well, you're learning wonderful mm -hmm. things. And you're a fine-looking boy and you are very talented. Some of yeah. your paintings and your drawings and your... What you call your mishees? Your mouse houses? Do you make those? Yes. I think they're wonderful. It takes you. great imagination and your carving and everything is, is very, very delightful. I just think it's great. How old are you? I'm 12. Well, you're quite a 12-year-old. Thank you for saying hello. Thank you. And what do they call you, Thumper? Thumper, that's my nickname. Where did you get that? Well, when I was little, my mother said that um, she could feel me hitting and bouncing around inside <laughs> of her. Yes. And it, the, the name stuck, huh? Uh, yes. Do you like it? Yes. Some of my friends call me that. I think it's a nice nickname. Thank you, Thumper. Thank you. Thank you so much, Barnaby. I'm going Thank to you, stop Richard. on that note. Bye. Bye. Are you loving Let's Talk to Lucy? Then you have a real treat in store for you. A new episode is being released every week on the SXM app and wherever you listen to podcasts.